Well, good morning. We serve a mighty God. Amen. We love a forgiving Savior. Amen. And there is a powerful spirit who is with us and among us and in us right now. Amen. When you say amen, you're saying that's the truth. I believe that. You know, it's been awesome already worshiping with you this morning and being able to affirm those things. And, the, and uh, if I lose my voice halfway through, it's because I was singing too loud, so I apologize. But, you know, it's so good to be with the body of Christ and glorifying God. Well, in case you don't remember me or in case you're bad with names like I am, my name is Drew Thorwall. I serve as a pastor at a church in the suburbs uh, north of Chicago, uh, just south of Wisconsin, uh, also, a buddy of mine and myself have started a ministry called Apollo Media. And what we do with Apollo Media is we try to use, especially video games, but really any media, in creative ways to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to help them learn more about the Bible and more about who Jesus is. So one day, my buddy and my, uh, me, my buddy of mine and I are doing some research. So we're playing video games. Now, that, that's pretty cool. That's the cool thing about starting a, a, a video game ministry. You get to play video games for research. I, I think my parents are starting to buy into that. I don't know that my wife has, but we're playing video games for research, honestly, because somebody gave us a tip about a game that there was some spiritual content in there, something that we might want to dig into, something that we might want to look at. So we're sitting in my basement. We're playing this game, and it's a game that actually won awards because of the level of control you have over each of the characters in the game. You play a number of different characters as you're trying to solve a mystery. There's been a kidnapping, there's been a murder, and you're trying to figure out basically who done it. So you're solving clues, but some of the things you get to do in the game are really kind of kind of crazy. Like it would sound boring, but when you wake up in the morning in the game, you get to decide if you're going to make your bed or not. You can decide if you want to open the curtains or close the curtains. When you go downstairs, you can have breakfast or you can skip breakfast and just walk out the front door. All of these things are built into the game as part of what you can do. So we're playing this game and we're trying to solve the clues and we come to a point in the game where you're in control of a young woman. And after a day of hunting for clues and trying to track things down, she comes back to her apartment and apparently it's time to take a shower. And so we get to this moment in the game where the only option you have, the only things the button will do is take off her clothes and take a shower. And so as my buddy and I are sitting here, we are suddenly sabotaged by temptation. Now, maybe you've felt that before. Certainly, Joseph felt that. In fact, as we continue in the life of Joseph in chapter 39 of Genesis today, Joseph is going to experience what it's like when temptation attacks. When we last left our hero, he was in the bottom of a pit. He was thrown there by his brothers. His brothers who are supposed to love him, who are supposed to protect him. But they are jealous of him. They've thrown him in the pit, and now he's sitting in the bottom of the pit while all of his brothers are sitting outside the pit having a picnic and deciding whether they want to kill him or sell him into slavery. Now, by some measure, I I think of God's grace, they decide not to kill him, but to sell him into slavery. And so Joseph is bewildered, abandoned, alone. You can imagine what it would feel like to be in his position, to have gone from a place where where he had these dreams about how God was going to, to use him and how he would be an important person someday. And now he's not only in the bottom of a pit, but now he's in chains and he's being dragged off to slavery. 
And that's where we find him as Genesis chapter 39 begins. And it says this, starting with verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now look at what it says in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Now that's going to be important. I want you to remember that because that's important not only for everything we talk about today, but for everything in Joseph's life. Because you realize he's no longer in the house of his father. He's no longer in the place where his ancestors had worshipped God or where they knew the Lord. He's been dragged off to Egypt. And yet the Lord is with him. The Lord is wherever Joseph goes because Joseph is a follower of God. Now that's very different than the Egyptian gods that he would have been surrounded by. You know, they were relegated to certain areas of the map or certain times of the year, or certain kinds of animals, or certain kinds of prayers. But, but Joseph's God, the God of the Bible, it says, was with Joseph. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Now think about that for a second. Potiphar, captain of the guard, high-ranking official in the Egyptian country, Right, no reason to believe in the God of Joseph, no reason to trust in the Lord of Joseph, or even to think that he's real, because Potiphar has a, a whole bunch of his own gods that he can worry about. And yet, it says that he saw that the Lord was with Joseph. You think about the way that, that people who don't know God are impacted by people who do, just by the way that we live our lives around them. So it continues in verse 4. It says that Joseph found favor in his sight, that being Potiphar, and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put in his hand. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now stop there for just a minute. Joseph has been given an, an amazing amount of power within this house because of his faithfulness, because of the way that he has served, because of the way that he's been honest. To this point, he has virtually no accountability. Potiphar has given him everything to be under his control that he doesn't even check into it anymore, except for what he's actually going to eat. And so this may be a moment where, where Joseph is thinking, maybe this isn't what I pictured, but maybe this is what God meant when he said I was going to be important because Potiphar is a big cheese and I'm the most important man in his house. Right? And maybe he starts to feel comfortable. He's kind of in a rhythm. Things are going well. He's moving up. He's in charge. He's in control. But look at what happens in verse 6. It says, And Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now, whenever I read this, I just picture Donny Osmond. Uh, you, you do too, don't you? I mean, my wife says she pictures me, which is very kind of her, but it says that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. And Joseph is sabotaged by temptation. No fault of his own at this point. He's, he's trying to serve God. He's trying to serve his master. He's trying to work hard. And out of nowhere, temptation attacks him. And so he has to ask himself a question. 
How will he react when temptation attacks? And that's the question I want us to ask ourselves this morning. How will you react when temptation attacks? To get a grip on that, I want us to look at three reactions of Joseph in Genesis 39. And one reality for Joseph that made those reactions possible. And as you're listening this morning, I want you to try to listen to this story, even if you've heard it before. Listen to it as if you've never heard it before. Because it's amazing to see the way that Joseph reacts and how different it is than what we'd expect from your average human being. But not only that, but I I believe that the Spirit is at work here this morning. I've felt it already in the worship. I've felt it already in my own heart. And I know that a passage like this and a topic like this can be scary and it can be dangerous. And I know that many times when I'm sitting where you're sitting and somebody starts talking about temptation, I go red in the cheeks because what if somebody finds out what my temptation is? What if somebody sitting near me can read my mind and if, if the pastor says this or that, what if I get fidgety and somebody else notices and let all of that go. Let all of that go. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands this morning. We're not going to ask you for any confessions or any stories. We're all agreeing right now. We're not going to look to the left or the right and see when our neighbor blushes. All right, I want you to have your heart open that the Spirit could work. Because those moments when maybe you feel a little bit uncomfortable or you think, how does he know that that's what I'm struggling with? That may be the Spirit trying to get a word in, trying to lead you forward out of a place that you've been stuck. You know, sometimes we throw the word temptation around and we, and we don't really know what it means. You know, especially culturally, we, we use it to just mean things that we enjoy. And I probably shouldn't right now, but well, I am kind of tempted, so why not? Now, sometimes you're walking down the candy aisle and there's something that's like chocolate and caramel as a sweet temptations. Ooh. Right? Giving in is half the fun, right? Well, when we talk about temptation, that really means doing something wrong. A, a deep desire to do something wrong or something that has destructive consequences. And so the things that we're talking about are things that God has warned us against, not just because he likes to make rules, but because he knows how it hurts us how it hurts people around us, and how it hurts our relationship with God. So let's look at some of Joseph's reactions to temptation. Potiphar's wife comes to him and, and just straight out says, lie with me, sabotages him in this way. But look at verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, Joseph's immediate reaction is to refuse the temptation. And what you see is it's because he's focused on God. For him to be able to refuse that way is because he has a foundation of a relationship with God. It's predetermined before he ever gets into this situation that he knows what the right or the wrong thing is to do. Now, that doesn't automatically mean that he'll make the right choice, but you can imagine how much more difficult this is if when Joseph is faced with this temptation, he's not sure what God would think about sleeping with another man's wife. If he's not sure what God's standard would look like or what a, a deeper relationship with God would mean, then this becomes a lot more complicated. But to Joseph, it is clear. He calls it a sin against God. Notice that his focus is not on himself. He doesn't say, oh man, I'd, I'd really like to, but what if I get caught? Right? And he's not even really focused on Potiphar. He mentions him, but he doesn't call this a sin against Potiphar. When it all comes down to it, he says, how can I do this? 
and sin against God. Now, why in the world would Joseph care anymore what God thinks? Right, this is a God who has completely let him down, right? A God who left him in a pit. A God who let him be sold and chained in slavery. A God who even now, as Joseph has worked so hard to move up in this household, to be faithful, to, to make lemonade out of lemons in the worst situation, and now God lets this happen and this temptation comes in. But none of that is Joseph's perspective. Remember it said that the Lord was with Joseph. And he's, he's apparently very sure of this, even in the midst of this moment. And so he keeps his focus on God. And so that foundation, that relationship that he has, builds into Joseph a new kind of desire, that God is transforming who he is, so that in this moment, he just refuses. I want that to be an encouragement to you, but, but it may be that, that you don't have a relationship with God yet. Maybe you don't have that foundation, or, or maybe you do, but you're not sure your foundation is strong enough because there are times where you face this and you feel like you're alone. But remember, the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord wants to be with you, and we're going to see that unfold as we keep moving forward. You know, as my buddy Carl and I were sitting there playing that game, you know, I'll be honest with you, in a different time of life, this would have been a much more dangerous situation. But as it was, when, when this moment came up, and we looked at each other and basically said, this stinks, and now we're never going to finish this game. Because we knew that this was not a place that we wanted to go. You know, and the temptation is there to say it. We're both adults. We can handle it. You know, maybe just push the button. I'm sure it won't be that long. Well, maybe there won't actually be nudity. Let's just see what happens. You know, but we knew ahead of time that this wasn't a place that we wanted to be because of our relationship with God and the way that he had been transforming us. And I'll be honest with you. I think we would both say that we were very grateful to have another person there with us. You know, if you're sitting there alone, it becomes much more difficult. But when you have the accountability of another person, it's a lot harder to, to talk you both into it, right? And so we refuse that temptation. Now, as you're listening to this this morning, you know, Joseph is specifically being faced with sexual temptation. But I want you to think for yourself, what is your Potiphar's wife? You know, what is that temptation that sabotages you, that you've tried to avoid, but it hits you when you're not ready? You know, sometimes this is internal. The book of James describes it as the way that our own evil desires come from within us to entice us, to drag us away from God. But sometimes, like Joseph's case, it's external. You know, you, you feel like things are going well. Right? You're moving forward. You, you get this sense of safety, and maybe you let your guard down. You know, and maybe it's a, a temptation towards pride. You know, when I'm trying to do things to make other people happy, and, and I want them to celebrate me, but they're not, so I better celebrate myself a little bit so people know what a good job I've been doing. I know I, I feel that with my wife all the time. You know, she's, she works on Fridays, and, and so I'm home, and by the time she gets home, I say, you know what, today the house is going to be totally clean, all the dishes are going to be done, all the kids are going to take baths, and dinner's going to be ready. And she walks in the house, and we start eating dinner, and we finish dinner, and we go in the other room, and we sit down, and we move on with the evening. I'm thinking, some, somebody should be celebrating me here, right? Well, so what did I really do it for? To serve my wife or to celebrate myself? And, and I catch myself sometimes I'm saying, you know, <clears throat> the kids have already had their baths. You know, I, I worked really, you know, it took me all day. I was going to relax. I could have done this or that, but, but I wanted you to be happy. And you see the temptation is turning this back on myself. Maybe it's a, a temptation towards laziness, either at home or at work. And when you know you should be working hard, but that, that's hard though, right? So maybe I'll just 
check my Facebook or my Twitter or my email one more time. And sometimes it's a temptation to harsh words in an argument, maybe with your spouse or, or a friend. I had a buddy call me up the other day saying that, that he just got through a fight with his wife and he really wanted to say some harsh things, but, but he didn't give in to the temptation. And I'm thinking, well, that's, that's a good thing. And then he said, because what I really wanted to say was, and he started saying all these things to me. And I thought, you know what, man, you're giving in to the temptation right now. You're not saying this to her, but you're still, you're giving it time and it has destructive consequences in your own heart. Or maybe it's a temptation to food. You've been trying to get healthy, but the draw of food continues to drag you down at the wrong times and with the wrong kinds of things. You know, maybe it's gone even deeper and the temptation has been attached to an addiction, something like alcohol or substance abuse. Or maybe it is sexual. You know, many writers and pastors are beginning to realize that because of the prevalence of the Internet, the fact that it's on your phone, it's on your iPad, it's on your laptop, it's everywhere, that pornography is one of the biggest things that is facing men in the church today. Whatever it is, we need to build into our foundation a relationship with God so that when we get into the moment of temptation, even if we've been careful, when it sabotages us, we know to refuse. Now, some of you have experienced that. You've refused it. You've had a victory. You've said no to the food. You've said no to the porn. You've said no to the pride. You've said no to the harsh words. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if that amazing stand you made and the victory you took that day meant you would never have to deal with that temptation again? Wouldn't that be sweet? But it doesn't work that way, does it? Look at verse 10. Although Joseph has refused Potiphar's wife, it says in verse 10 that it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day. It's persistent. It's systematic. She's trying to wear him down. But Joseph removed the temptation. That's his second reaction. It says that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Not only is he saying, I'm not going to do this thing, but now he says, I'm not even going to be around you. And there's a key, a key piece there that he did not heed her. It means he didn't listen. He didn't give her the time to explain why this would be a good thing. Now, that's really the mistake that Adam and Eve made in the Garden of Eden. When the serpent came to tempt them, they heard him out. Did God really say? All right, if he did say that, did he really mean... Does God really think it's wrong to sleep with another person's wife? Did God really say that we shouldn't have sex before marriage? Is it really wrong if I move in with my girlfriend or my boyfriend? Does it really matter if I speak these harsh words to my wife? I mean, she needs to know, right? You know, and we give temptation a voice, but it says Joseph did not heed her, and he removed, if he couldn't remove Potiphar's wife, which isn't really up to him, he decides to remove himself not to be with her, not to let it wear him down. In C.S. Lewis' book, The Screwtape Letters, if you've ever read this, he, he basically writes a, a fictional group of letters from one demon uh, to his nephew demon who's just gotten a job out in the world uh, tempting human beings. It's a pretty fascinating book and, and very convicting if you read it because you realize C.S. Lewis is right in your own head with the way that we battle sin. But one of the things that uh, the elder demon writes there is that our best weapon is the belief of ignorant humans that there is no hope of getting rid of us except by yielding. And sometimes that's what it feels like. It feels like we just can't take it anymore. We can't deal with this every day. And maybe I should just get it over with. You know, and this is the kind of attack that comes sometimes when we feel safe, like Joseph may have. 
You know, when things are going well and we've let our defenses down, other times it comes when we're at our weakest. You know, maybe because we're too busy. And the, the, the pace of life keeps us from having time to spend with God. Or maybe we're not busy enough. Too much idle time. Sometimes it happens when we're too tired. Honestly, the risk of physical and mental fatigue leads us to spiritual fatigue that leaves us unable to respond to temptation the way we usually would because we've been weakened by fatigue. Or maybe we're stressed. Marital stress, stress in relationships with friends, financial stress, stress at work, all of these things that beat us down so that when temptation sabotages us, we're all out of sorts and we're weakened. And so Joseph's reaction was to remove it. Now Jesus actually teaches this same thing in Matthew chapter 5. If you look at Matthew 5, 27 to 30, Jesus is also talking about sexual temptation. He speaks on adultery. And he says that, that not only is it adultery if you actually go through with it and sleep with another person's spouse, but he says if you even look at another person with lust, that is adultery. You see, Jesus isn't just looking at whether you actually act on it or if you get caught. He's looking at the thought, the intent, and the motive of the heart. What's going on on the inside of us? And and this is Jesus' instruction for how to remove it. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. Now think about that for a minute. If we took this passage literally, first of all, we'd need to bring a lot of forks, and a lot of machetes or something, but we'd have a lot of blind and and armless Christians walking around, wouldn't we? But look at the point that Jesus is trying to make. He says, because it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. What he's telling you is, you know, you can imagine the audience sitting there like, "Uh, Jesus, I mean, that can't be what you mean. His disciples sitting there saying, Jesus, you might want to tone it down a bit. Nobody's going to buy into following you if they've got to poke their eyes out. But listen to what he's saying. He's telling us that whatever it is, and however difficult the sacrifice may seem, it is better to remove that thing that causes our temptation and drags us away than to be dragged away from our relationship with God and spend an eternity apart from him in hell. So think about this. Think about what your Potiphar's wife is and, and think creatively about what it would mean to remove that temptation. You know, sometimes it just means removing yourself from a conversation. You know, removing yourself from a situation. As crazy as it sounds, if it's the smartphone or the iPod or the laptop that gets you into trouble, even in 2014, you are better off not even owning an, an iPhone, a laptop or an iPod than letting it drag you away into temptation. Now, maybe you're thinking, Drew, would probably tone this down because nobody's going to throw away their laptop. Nobody's going to close their Facebook account. Well, think about then, what, is, what are the circumstances? Because you can do some good work on a laptop and, and the iPhone can be just fine. So what are the other circumstances? And maybe you realize that temptation attacks you on the Internet when you're alone, when it's night, when it's dark. So what do you do to remove that temptation? Maybe it means that the whole family, all of us put all of our laptops and anything else with the Internet in one place at 8.30, 9 o'clock, whatever that is. You know, especially parents, as you're thinking about how to set these kinds of boundaries with your kids, you've got to be willing to go along with them. You know, for our family, we decided one of the things uh, for video games 
is that video games will always be on the main level of the house. You know, that way the kids don't have to wonder what dad's playing. Dad doesn't have to wonder what the kids are playing. Now, that takes some sacrifice, right? Because if they're playing a game, then I can't watch TV or do whatever I wanted to do. But that's part of providing some of that accountability, thinking of creative ways to remove the temptation. Well, Joseph is persistent in his resistance. He's refused the temptation. He's removed the temptation, but Potiphar's wife isn't done. Verse 11 shows us that she's going to take one last-ditch effort. It says it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. One last forceful attempt by the, attempt, by the temptation and this puts Joseph into emergency mode. He's in fight or flight mode and he realizes that flight is his best option. Sometimes we just have to run from the temptation. My wife and I like to go on vacation up to Minnesota, a place that my grandparents have on a lake, so you can get away from it all. There's no TV, there's no internet. We like to do walks and bike rides. And one day we're taking a bike ride, and as we kind of come around the corner, we hear this dog barking. And there's no leash laws up there, so there's kind of dogs everywhere. But most people have like the invisible fence, right? So the dog barks and runs to the edge of the yard, and then you just ride by and you wave at it or whatever. Well, this dog starts barking, and my wife, who's not normally scared of dogs, but she says, maybe we should stop. Maybe we should just turn around. But I'm a big manly man, and I'm not scared of dogs. And I say, ridiculous. You know, I'm sure he can't even get out of his yard. Let's just keep going. Well, as we get a little farther, he keeps barking. He keeps running. Well, well, he's out of his yard now, so I guess they don't have the invisible fence. And so my, as soon as my wife saw him come out of the yard, she stopped right away. But like I said, I'm not scared of this. And so I keep pedaling. And the closer he gets, you know, I'm thinking, well, he's little. I mean, he's barking a lot, but he's kind of cute. But the closer and closer he gets to me, he starts to look like this. <laughs> and I start to panic. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, it's possible that I've made a huge mistake here. And so I, I keep pedaling, but he's getting closer and closer. And I'm thinking, you know, he's going to crash into my bike. If he knocks me over, who knows what happens next? And so I, you know, shoo, shoo, like he's a house fly or something. Well, that has no effect on Schmitty. And I know his name is Schmitty because by now his, hon- his owner is outside yelling, Schmitty, get back here, Schmitty, shut up, Schmitty. And so I'm thinking, oh man, Schmitty, that sounds, that's a terrifying name, right? And the closer and closer he gets, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of a plan. How do I get myself out of this? And so in all of my great wisdom, I come up with this new move I call the, the bicycle leg sweep. I just kind of swing one leg out like that and I, I hope that this will just kind of scoot him away from the bike and we'll all go on with our day. Well, guess what? He bit me. Schmitty bit me. I've never been bitten by a dog before in my life, and now it's emergency mode. We are done here, and I'm pedaling as hard as I can, and my wife still laughs at me when she tells this story to everyone I know, and how goofy I looked, pedaling faster than I ever have before, because I realized now the danger wasn't worth it. And you know, I went into that situation, and I thought, I can handle this. You know, I've, I've been around dogs before. I've seen these kinds of things before. This is not a big deal. And I rode my bike right into the teeth of danger. That happens to us with temptation a lot. Now, Joseph was sabotaged, but it's not always sabotage. Sometimes we see it coming. We know that this is a place that I've given in before. We know that this is a place that I've struggled before. We know that this is a person or this is a situation. These are things that have dragged me down before. But we tell ourselves, well, I'm, I'm an adult. 
you know, I can handle this. There aren't that many nude scenes or it's not that long of a video game or, well, I'm just going to have a little bit of this food or that food or maybe just one drink. I'm sure I can handle it. And we walk right into the teeth of temptation. Well, Joseph had the idea to run. Joseph looked for a way out. And in 1 Corinthians 10.13, God shows us that there is a way out. This is why it's so critical that the relationship with God is there, that if you haven't experienced that yet, that that is the first step. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. That means there's nothing you're facing that somebody else hasn't faced before, nothing you're facing that God is not aware of, or that he knows how to handle. Because look at what it says. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. I love this verse. I think that this verse is one of the greatest promises in the New Testament because it tells us that no matter what you're facing or when you're facing it, God is there and He is making a way out. Not me on my own, not me within my own power. Many times we think, I've got to beat this to get right with God. I've got to beat this because it's embarrassing to pray to God when I know I've failed this way. But God says, you will not beat it without me. And we need to bring God into it. One person has referred to it as practicing the presence of Jesus. Chad shared that phrase with me this morning and what it looks like to know in any of these situations that he is there, he is with us. In fact, Jesus did this himself. We've talked about how his life parallels the life of Joseph and Jesus himself was tempted. In Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter 4, and Luke chapter 4, this is recorded. And the way that Jesus handles temptation is by knowing that God is with him. He does it specifically by bringing to mind Scripture so that Jesus, too, is prepared beforehand. And so each time, Jesus responds to temptation by saying, it is written. And he speaks the words of God to fight off the temptation. Now imagine using Scripture that way. I've got a small corner of a piece of paper that came off of an eight and a half by 11 sheet. That one morning as I was praying to God and I was looking through verses, I had just scrawled down a few of them that I wanted to remember. And, and so it ended up that they became so meaningful in my life, I just ripped off that corner and I carried it with me in my wallet for a while. And, and now it's pinned to the board in front of my desk so that I can see these verses all of the time. And some of them are about temptation. Some of them are about love. Some of them are about forgiveness. Some of them are about courage. And, and, and I, would just, I would just tell you that if you've got those verses, maybe four, or five, six verses that are always in your head, that's one way to practice the presence of Jesus, to keep him with you in a way that when you get into a situation like Joseph, you may be bewildered, but your brain jumps right to a verse. Your heart jumps right to a verse where God has spoken to you before the strength that he wants to offer you so that you can react when temptation attacks, so that you can refuse you can remove it. You can run from it. Because 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that even though this temptation is here, I know that God is making a way out. Because Romans chapter 6 says that I am no longer a slave to my sin, but I serve righteousness. Because John 14 that we heard read to us at the beginning of the service today says that Jesus has sent me the Holy Spirit and He is with me and in me when I am a follower of Christ. 
giving me the power to overcome temptation. I know that I can resist temptation because Joshua 1 tells me that God has called me to be strong and courageous because he is with me wherever I go. Even as Joseph went to Egypt. In the midst of all this, in verses 13 to 20, things take another downturn for Joseph because Potiphar's wife is angry now at her failure. And so holding his cloak, she calls all the men into the house. She calls her husband into the house. She says, look at how this Hebrew slave has come upon me to attack me, to rape me. And she blames Joseph for what she was trying to do. And so it says in verse 20 that Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And so Joseph takes the fall even after all of this resistance. Now there's something interesting about this because the, this is the, the prison for the king's prisoners. So if you have to go to prison, this is kind of the prison you want to be in. It's probably the nicest of the prisons. And this gives us maybe some sense that Potiphar knew a little bit about his wife or at least that he knew about Joseph because he had seen the Lord with him. And so it may be that he was being somewhat gentle to Joseph by putting him in this prison. But even as you look at Joseph's situation, remember 1 Corinthians 10.13, that God provides a way out. Because you know who's not in prison? Potiphar's wife. And so with a different perspective, you realize that for whatever else he has to figure out, now that he's sitting in jail, there's probably at least a moment where Joseph says, you know, I'm in prison, but at least I don't have to see Mrs. Potiphar tomorrow. At least for one day, I don't have to try to resist that temptation again. You see, Joseph has a different perspective because of the reality that the Lord is with him. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that is a reality for you. The Lord is with you. Wherever your Egypt is, whatever your Potiphar's wife may be, the Lord is with you. And you can practice the presence of Jesus. You can keep him with you. When you carry the scripture with you, when you spend time in prayer on a regular basis, because you never know when the sabotage will happen, but the Lord is with you. That's one of the great themes of the entire Bible. In fact, Jesus was called Emmanuel, God with us. When he left, he gave us the Holy Spirit, because although temptation can be sabotaged, although it can be, be forceful, although it can be day by day, it is not eternal. God is going to beat it. He will have the victory, and the Lord is with you. That's the difference that allows for us to share in that victory. And you see that even now in prison, at the end of this chapter, it says in verses 20 and following, that as he was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. He showed him mercy. He gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Let that be an encouragement to you this morning. And when temptation attacks, refuse it, remove it, and run from it because the Lord is with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are graced by the presence of your Spirit this morning, and I thank you for being with us. God, you know what each of us struggles with in this room. You know the times that we try to handle it on ourselves, the times that our shame keeps us from you. God, I would just ask that you would wash all of us in forgiveness this morning, that you would show us your grace, that you would draw us back to you, that we would feel the presence with you as you were in Joseph's life, that it would be so obvious to those around us that they would see it as well. 
and that we would know at all times that even when we are tempted, you are creating a way out because you are with us, God. We thank you for that gift. In your name, amen. I want to thank you for coming this morning and sharing this time of worship with us. I pray that you are encouraged. If you want to find out more about Horizon, you can head right out those back doors and uh, into the hearth room on your left. And this morning, my prayer is just that you would go in peace because the Lord is with you. Thank you for coming.